Welcome into episode 211 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike, and this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. You probably know the drill by now, but go to dreamsymbols.com, take a look around the various symbol lines and the accessory lines and the effect symbol lines and their gongs, um, all sorts of stuff. Um, I think if you don't have a Dream Symbol in your collection, you're missing out. I personally really dig the Contact series and the Bliss series, but I also really like their effects stuff, so check out the Crop Circle check out the Naughty Saucer, um, check out some of the Chinese gongs, some of the small gongs. There's all kinds of really creative, inspiring stuff. Cartales, again, go to dreamsymbols.com, have a look around, and then call your local dealer and make sure they order some stuff in for you to check out. All right, so our intro beat is, uh, this is going to be by my co-host, Mike Johnson. He is demoing his new uh, Groove Bell by Minel. Um, so we're going to check that out, and then we'll get the show going. All right. Gosh, we have to. Someday we'll start an episode without laughing. Oh, mm. that was a biscuit for sure. Yeah, you know it is a bit of a. More I think about it, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine of too many inside jokes. You know, <laughs> like let's not be too cool to let our listeners into our real life. So basically, what happened was Mike started counting and he wasn't recording. And then I said an f bomb, <laughs> and then we started laughing. Then I pressed record. And then we started with, so now you guys are in on the show. it's pre-production. Here we go. Episode 11. Should we start over? <laughs> One, two, three, four. There, now you're in on everything. Now you guys all know what actually happened. Honestly, when I do that, when I'm getting interviewed on other podcasts and I do that, they're like, oh my God, it's so much easier than what I've been doing. I'm like, how do you do it? They're like, I don't know, just record and we just, I try to match it all up. I'm oh, like, good oh gosh. my God, it sounds like a nightmare. No way. Uh, speaking of which. Nightmares? Total. Yeah, yeah. You mean the, the opposite States of government? <laughs> oh my God. Get it, Dawson. No, Woo! before we even dive in, I have to say the weird, weird altered universe. I was in London when the Supreme Court ruled all that stuff against Boris Johnson. Then I was in London when Nancy Pelosi came on CNN and said they were going to start impeachment inquiries on Trump. It was such a bizarre experience. I'm like, wow, what is going on in the world right now? (laughs) Isn't it neat, though, to experience our government from a different country and being surrounded by foreigners of a different country and seeing yeah. how they experience it and it it's a whole different thing super bizarre because it just kept they kept yeah. replaying that one clip every five minutes but you know you go to, if, back in the stage you turn on cnn it's 24 hours a day that's all they're talking about over there it just right. kept showing that one clip and then a bunch of footage of of parliament just freaking out i'm like oh my god what is going <laughs> on <laughs> man there there's been a few times that i've been in certain countries where whoever is my chaperone or whoever's taking me around just turns on the radio for a second, immediately turns it off, and then says, there's a good chance you might not be able to fly home tomorrow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we've just got, I don't want to tell you exactly what's going on, but we've got some stuff going on, and it might all come down tomorrow, so you might have to stay here for a couple extra days. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. So, uh, the world is is still running. Everything's going good. You... Yep. Finally used your passport. I got one sticker on my passport. Yep. How did that feel? So you got to be there for the stamp. <laughs> yeah. Only on Newark on the way back. On, when I got yeah. to Heathrow, it was just a machine. Just scan your passport and oh, you go yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're getting very fancy. Yeah, super and fancy. Then, now, did you notice after being 
going through Heathrow and all that because you you got there. Then you had to go there again <laughs> to come back. Did you notice the difference when you landed in America that we are a little bit different and a little rougher as people? Because I notice every time that I go through customs in a different country, everything seems pretty smooth. Now, when I as soon as I land in, you know, it doesn't matter where it is, and I just notice immediately there's this different. I don't know. There's something about the U.S. Customs agency and, and the way they're like, next, yeah. this line, yeah, your yeah. passport. I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on, man. They were so they were so posh when I was in Heathrow. <laughs> Over here, son. Well, well, I mean, darling. Newark is just a nightmare to begin with. So, yeah, right. I expect yeah. nothing but a nightmare. Like they have on the way out, they – whatever reason, I'm sure it, this is riveting podcast <laughs> content, but they keep changing up how the security line runs. Now they've got these like automatic – uh, tray machines and it's just like it's just a cluster it's like you can't don't push your tray right. don't you dare push your tray don't, yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like what is anything going in your pockets on? anything in your pockets i'm like dude i've pat my pockets like six times in front of you you know i have nothing in my pockets <laughs> check your pockets no i did take your shoes off all right oh, anyways man, i'm happy for our security everything's great let's move on to the positive stuff you had an event mm-hmm. in london it was your first time doing a clinic outside of the country yep it looked – I couldn't tell what I was watching. So I, at some point I saw you in a room that looked like it was a club, but you were the only <laughs> member of the band in the club. Was that your clinic? No. What was the space cadet thing that I saw? Okay, yeah. We'll unpack it starting okay. there. So uh, towards the end of my actual formal clinic and before we then transitioned and just hanging and taking Q&As – Brian, who organized the whole thing, Brian from Arturia, who's, you know, he sent in some audio questions a few weeks back. So he's, he's okay. a podcast listener. He's the one who just hit me up out of the blue. Hey, we're doing this session for my company, Arturia. I want you to be the drummer for the session. That's what so started cool. the whole thing. Okay. So they, this, this complex where we did all this, the studio's there, and that's where we did the clinic. There's also this giant old meatpacking fridge. Okay. They just call it the fridge, and it's just an no empty way. refrigerator. It's a mammoth. I mean, it's humongous. So that reverb was real. Yeah, they've never had a drum set in there before. Oh. And it was the most strange, disorienting experience to hit a snare drum and have it ring about nine seconds. Yeah. I, well, so <laughs> Helen put up a post saying that, you know, Dawson cranked the reverb a little much on this one. And I really, at for a second, I thought, Wait, is he running that much effects? <laughs> no, that was pure that was, live. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so unreal. <laughs> that but is cool. That is a plug in waiting to happen. Yes, yeah, so that, that was just like meat the, fridge. you know, a, a fun thing to take okay. everyone over to do and, and I only played for a couple of minutes because it was like it was one of those things where I felt like the reverb could have started feeding back on itself and the room might just explode. <laughs> like it right. was just so much. Wow. But it was okay. cool. That was fun. So that was just a you know fun thing. Go to this weird fridge and hear a drum okay. set that's never been hit in there before. And the owner of the complex even came out and he's like, that was so cool. I never heard anyone play drums in that room before. It was, it wow. was pretty wild. I don't that's know if you awesome. could ever use that much reverb. I don't think right. I don't think microphones would like it, but it was fun to just experience it. It was pretty wild. Sure. And then as far as the clinic, how did it go? It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, man, what a cool cool group of people thanks to everyone listening that came out i think a lot of you listened to the show it was super supportive great questions um attentive to all the completely nerdy stuff that i dig into and in, in my clinics yeah it was it was great i mean we 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 had a pretty much a full room so i couldn't have expected i couldn't have asked for anything more 
Yeah, uh, you could. You could ask for one famous drummer to show up, and he did. <laughs> yeah. Was that so? That's your was that your first time meeting Richard Spaven? Yeah, Richard Spaven came out. If you're listening, Richard, thanks for coming out. And I then I of course I surprised him and said, "Hey, you're going to come up on stage and answer some questions." Nice. <laughs> he was like, Very "Okay, cool. but just so you know, I'm not going to play." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. Very cool. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great to have that. So after you know, after I did my thing, we did the fridge thing. We came back. I took a couple questions. I brought Richard up. I asked him a bunch of questions that I wanted to know about, and then we took a couple more from people that are there. It was just overall a really fun night. Super cool. The place is called Tow Yard. So if you're in England and you haven't been there yet, it's a pretty amazing space. Um, hopefully they'll start doing more drum clinics there because it's kind of perfect for it. I think it max max capacity might be like 75 people. Oh, that's perfect. But it's a real comfortable, great sound, <clears throat> nice stage. So yeah, super awesome, cool. man. Well, I'm stoked for you. That, that It looked really cool and it was just fun to see, I don't know, you in that world. There's certain people, I'm used to seeing Matt Gartska doing that and used mm-hmm. to seeing Anna Canillas do that and to see like my buddy Dawson, I was like, what? <laughs> he doing in london this is amazing yeah well, really I, cool. I definitely need to talk about the monday which was why i was there so i was there to do um you know brian brought me over to record to test out the interface that we we talked about a couple weeks ago the uh, mm-hmm. audio fuse so we they rented out um shoot the name of the studio is is escaping me but it's where uptown funk is recorded it's a legendary oh, okay. studio so, you know, this million dollars worth of gear already in the studio. And they were like, no, nah, we're not going to use any of that. We're going to use this interface, and we're going to show you how to mic a, a drum set with two mics, four mics, and eight mics. Awesome. So I was just the session drummer. So okay. they, they documented the whole thing with the engineer, Brendan Cox, getting drum sounds, and then telling me things that he's hearing in the control room and how to adjust, more dampening, tune it differently. He did a lot of little tweaks with the mics. It was it was it was really like a true to form. What happens when you go to a studio for the first time? Yeah, which is super cool. And I learned a lot. He didn't even with eight mics. He didn't put an inside bass drum mic. Everything was just a mix of ambient mics and near near mics. And really, it was it was really really informative. And it was mainly because the kit itself was just such a punchy kit. It was a Canopus Ash kit. Okay, and um, he could just tell, I don't need to do this. Yeah, as soon as he that. got in the room, he's like, wow, that, that bass drum hits really hard, to the point where we even had to, I even taped a uh, a chamois to the batter head to kind of round it out a wow. bit further. So it was it was really cool. So it was a weird experience, because we would spend you know, an hour on the two mic setup, and then I would just sound check and never actually play a song. And they're like, all right, strike it. <laughs> and then... Four wow. mics, and then we'd tweak it and do everything. All right, strike it, and then we did a different now, kit. Were there people there for that, or was it no, just being filmed? It was just the, the filmmakers and me and the okay. engineer. Yeah. Wow. So you're going to be the drummer in all those videos? Yeah, it's going to be an educational series coming out where I'm. You know, they asked me a little bit about one of the kits, but in general, I'm just the guy hitting the drums, and Brendan is kind of the the educator. Like, okay. Yeah, I'm really excited cool. to and see then, how it shows up. So when it was done, I mean, obviously you're not going to be like, ah, it sucked. But I mean, were you kind of, were you stoked on the drum sounds that this guy was getting? Yeah. 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 It was really interesting. So we, we did the, the Canopus kit was, which was a small punchy, it's, it's Harvey Mason's kit. It's actually his kit when he's in the UK. But I don't think the sound of that kit naturally fit the aesthetic of the engineer. So we it mm. took us a, a fair amount of time to be like, all right, it's still a little, it's still a little hard. What, what can we do to, you know, soften up the tone a little bit? Okay. 
So by the end of it, that kit was like treated like crazy. We had tape all over it. We had uh, drum tacks all over it. We tuned it. A so bunch do you of think that ways. that engineer would have loved an old vintage Ludwig or Gretsch or well, Rogers? What, what happened? So when we got to the eight mic setup, we swapped to a different kit, a, a Canopus vintage series kit with bigger uh, bass drum, bigger toms, and literally within as soon as we set the kit up, was like that's the kit that we should have started with. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So and and they're gonna hopefully they're gonna keep all that in there because it's it's not a. Bad, I was gonna say, I mean, on an educational bad. level, it's way more important because that's what most people are gonna do. They're gonna it's like, well, I'm sorry. That I don't own your '60s Ludwig. Yeah, yeah. I have this. This is my Thomas Silverstar. Figure it out. Yeah, and make it work. And so I think that's probably going to be much more educational for people than if he would have had a home run right off the bat. Yeah, so yeah. So we, yeah, cool. we, we set up the bigger kit. It was like, okay, that sounds good. We didn't need to even. I didn't touch a tuning rod. It was just like, okay, really? that kit's perfect. I, I had to mess with the snare drum. He, he's not a fan of really kind of cracky snares. So okay, the snare took a little bit of work in all the setups, but. Yeah, it was crazy. We probably spent an hour like muffling and tuning and adjusting mics on the Ash kit and maybe five minutes on the Vintage Series kit. It was really? fascinating. It was fascinating. You can just that's tell. Cool, you man. can tell when it's like, that's the right drum. Like, oh, all yeah. right. We should have started there. Yeah, that's cool, <laughs> man. Well, I'm really stoked for you. Congratulations. And I'm happy that you finally have a stamp in your passport. Yeah, yeah. Even custom, the guy was like, hey, what, what's up with your passport? Because it has like rust marks on it. But it's like obviously brand new. He's right. like, "What'd you do? Like go swimming or something?" It's like, "No, I had it in a in a, a safety deposit box with some keys, and the keys rusted, and the rust got all over the passport." He's like, "Oh, I've heard wow. that one before." <laughs> wow! It's like, dude, get out and see the world. That's that's tough when the customs agent is like, "Man, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you need to travel more." Yeah, pretty you need much. to travel. Pretty more. Much. <laughs> that's, that's cool, man. Well, awesome. Good to hear. Good Hopefully, to hear. it won't be the last. And special thanks to JC at Drum Tax for you know making me get off my butt and go do it. It was it was a great experience. So everyone that came out, it was awesome. Thank you so much. Um, hopefully, we'll do more. Stay tuned. Yeah, can't wait to see the videos for sure. <clears throat> All so right. What are we gonna get um, into here? Well, uh, oh, you got a, make you sure got a something happening. I got a product release. Yeah, so, I'm I'm super stoked. Uh, so if I'm sure most of you know, but for a while now, actually. A almost three years I've been working on a cowbell with Meinl, which is a weird thing because you usually want to make a big splash. Like, Oh, we're coming out with a ride. So it's going to change the game. These are new 15 inch hi hats that no one's ever experienced. <laughs> and this is just a cowbell, but uh, so it's called the Meinl groove bell and it comes out on Monday, finally to the public. So it's, it's in stores everywhere. They just can't put it on their shelves until Monday. Cause everyone has to, have the the exact same release date. So 10 a.m. Central Time, Monday morning, the Minel Groove Bell is available anywhere that's a Minel percussion dealer. And the goal here was to create a cowbell that lived in between that 80s rock cowbell and then full-blown Cuban authentic mm-hmm. cowbell, mm-hmm. handheld authentic cowbell. Uh, I, I felt that those were two cowbells that were actually quite easy to find in stores, but neither of them were giving me that thing that I wanted, which was... Juno, you good? <laughs> just you got something in your ear? Come here, sweetie. Let's shake it out, baby. Um, we encourage full shake at the house. Uh, hey, sweetheart, you good? So I wanted that thing that was like more. I almost we almost called it the gig bell. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> because I swear I take care of my dog. Um, but you know, when you're on a gig, it's like sometimes you just need to like play a couple little funky notes and if it's if the cowbell is too authentic it sticks out as like whoa 
we mm. just took a trip to Cuba. Yeah. Or if it's that you know 80s rock cowbell, it'll scare the pants off some folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm super excited. We actually changed alloy. So that was a big deal for Minel, like get a new metal. We changed the metal it was made out of. We prototyped like probably 10 different sizes to get the size right. And then the big thing was the finish. Like a lot of people love the Minel grungy, nasty look, but they're married to their symbols. They love Peisty. They love Zildjian. They love Sabian. Mm. In Istanbul, a million different companies. Totally cool. Now you can have this that thing, that look that you like. Put it on your kit. Keep your symbols. Everything's good. Um, so yeah, so it comes out and it comes with uh, two bell mutes, uh, all in the packaging, and that comes out on Monday. So I'm really excited about it. Dope. I haven't now. Used, oh yeah, go ahead. I haven't used a cowbell in a while, but I'm very curious to uh, check that one out. Are they going to send I would me like one to the review or what? Oh man, Minel's slipping. I will make sure they send you Minel symbols here, but yeah, I would like to check out the cowbell. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I look forward to to hearing what you think because I I don't know. It's a it's a weird thing finding that perfect cowbell for someone that doesn't have a need for a cowbell constantly. Meaning, like, what is the average funky fusion pop drummer? What's the cowbell for them? That was the goal with this thing. Mm-hmm. Was um, I like I said? I think if you need that '80s rock, don't fear the Reaper thing. That exists, and mm-hmm. it's easy to find. Um, and then if you go to like uh, what's the uh, the company that uh, DW eventually I think they had for a while, uh, Gombops. Oh yeah, Gombops. Yep. Easy enough to find incredible authentic cowbells. Mm-hmm. This was the thing that I just wasn't able to find from anybody. So I, I like being a part of products that are filling a hole in the lineup, whether it's a symbol, a pair of sticks, or in this case, a cowbell, like, hey, this didn't exist, I, and that's why it now exists. So I think it'll be cool for a lot of people. So that comes Wait. out on Monday. Now let's get into some good stuff. All right. Where are we at? What are we doing? I have Where no idea. We? What's your name? <laughs> I dropped an F-bomb in the first five seconds of this thing. I'm, I'm all scatterbrained. Let's talk about 5-4 halftime shuffles, shall we? Mm. Oh, my gosh. Talk about practicality. <laughs> Probably play three of these per gig. <laughs> three Not five, only does no one shuffles. ever play a halftime shuffle anymore, but no one definitely mm. ever plays a halftime shuffle in 5-4. You know what, though? You can't play a halftime shuffle right now because everyone will compare you to Ash. So the, the only way to not get compared to Ash is to play it in 5-4. <laughs> That's the Instagram hack of the day. How did, by the how way, did Ash I've, become the halftime shuffle guy, by the way? You know, one, he's really good at doing it. Yes. Um, there is that part. And he played two really good halftime shuffles. He played Slave to the Rhythm, uh, which was a huge hit. And then he played on, there's one that you have to hear uh, by Seal. Uh, is it, I think it's called Red Zone Killer. Okay. Um, and that one is like, that's the one where if everyone is sick of hearing the same damn two shuffles, I love Fool in the Rain, I love Rosanna, but damn, I can't hear it anymore. That, like, I remember telling somebody, I'm like, are you sure there's only been two songs ever recorded with a halftime shuffle? And then the the third one is always, without fail, and I'm not, I don't want to get into Peg and all that, you know, Steely Dan stuff, but the third one is always like, well, there's this really cool one by De- Death Cab for Cutie called Grapevine Fire. So I'm like, yes, I know about Jason. So, and that's the other thing. If you ever use your left foot in a halftime shuffle, now you're Jason McGurr. Mm. 
I have no problem giving that man credit for that one because that shuffle is is six. But if you guys need a new halftime shuffle to listen to, definitely check out Red Zone Killer by Seal. That's Ash Stone. So if you want to stand out from everybody and really push things forward, <laughs> go back to 1980 and check out some Dennis Chambers. <laughs> it's not 1980. When is it? 1998. So this is oh I was well okay okay so we trans or uh, you know Daniel Bedard wrote an article based on the five four halftime shuffle that Dennis just annihilates on the song uh, Mother Tongues from the John McLaughlin album The Heart of Things Live in Paris this is from 1998 let's listen to it first and then discuss. To be like, you guys are good, right? I can do this. And they're like, yeah, we got this. Okay. That's Dennis, man. He's, he just says, oh. hey, get on the ship or, or get off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and whenever I hit that round, shiny thing to my right, that is not the one. Do not follow that. <laughs> I can crash wherever the heck I want. That is so good. So good. Yeah. That is one of my favorite bands that I forget. That trio, that, that Heart, Heart of Things trio. I can't remember. Actually, I guess this is a quartet, but there's also a trio record with uh, Joey DeFrancesco. Okay. I mean, it's just insane. So if you want to hear, I think, Dennis at his absolute craziest, it's that era of the John McLaughlin group. But yeah, so that groove, it starts out like a halftime shuffle, but then adds that extra beat where he accents the middle triplet note, which throws the whole thing off kilter. Yes, that's what definitely messes you up for sure. Because b- beats one and two, mm, golden. <laughs> I got oops, and it's over. It's over that. But that's the thing with with a lot of what Dennis does, and especially in this song, it throws you for a loop. But it also loops, meaning that you can tell. Okay, wait a minute. This is repetitive. There yep. is a time signature. There is a structure. I. If I would have been there in the rehearsal, I would know what's going on. <clears throat> and I'm always curious in situations like this where the drum parts are so incredibly cool and so creative, whose idea was it? Was it John McLaughlin's idea? Is he singing something and then Dennis tries to recreate it on the kit? Or is it a really lame, basic thing in the rehearsal room and then Dennis just drops this on him? My, <clears throat> my guess is Dennis just pull this thing out of thin air (laughs) that would be my guess oh it's in five okay cool here we go yeah (laughs) or is it even the opposite is it something where dennis says man i've been wanting to do something with this groove for a while and then john's like i could totally write something to that what time is it in (laughs) dennis like it's in five (laughs) juno i love you babe you gotta go sit down okay fine mike's gonna talk now for a while while i pay attention (laughs) to my dog Oh my goodness! Okay, okay so, so so have you been aware of this groove for a long time? I mean, is this something I've never heard this song? Yeah, no, I've had 
this this was you know prime me wanting to be a fusion drummer era. Okay. So, but I never took the time to like learn it. It was always one of those things like this stuff is just next level. I'll get to it eventually, yeah. and my and I just never got to it. <laughs> you know? But I yeah. was always just a fan of of Dennis's clarity and command in this style of music. I feel like he brings something extra that I don't get from almost every other quote unquote fusion drummer. It's just yeah. a certain amount of command and confidence and almost like grit that I just yeah. Find it's really it's cool. a weird thing how structured he is while being so fluid. Yeah. It's not a normal combination either. It's all fluidity or it's all structured, and he has this almost grid like system to him that everything is flawless, but yet it flows and he flows in and out of the groove in a really cool way. And that's what that actually is what throws me off the time signature is how how easily he can flow in and out of it. And I mean, if I was going to do any kind of improvisation in a five, four displaced backbeat shuffle, (laughs) you can bet that every fill would come out right on the wall (laughs) for my own sake. (laughs) He goes over the bar line, under the bar line, doesn't care. And he's like, no, they'll figure it out. I like that he he doesn't feel the need to do the full shuffle with the hi-hat too. It's just quarters. He's letting the, you know, the the ghost notes on the snare give you the illusion of the shuffle. Which again, that adds. Yeah, I mean, that's something we'll have to break down at some point. Like, what constitutes a halftime shuffle or a shuffle versus a triplet based groove? Because anytime I can play paradiddle diddle grooves and I will get comments on YouTube, Purdy, Bonham, <laughs> like, no, rudiments. That's what you should be tagging. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So, same thing though. There are times where you're like, oh, great shuffle tune. And then when you really dig into it, you're like, well, nothing's really shuffling. Um, you know, I mean, if if the hi hat's playing quarter notes, which I don't believe you, because I've only heard this like for a little bit of time, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't hear that. But well, I mean, that's what's transcribed. That's well, like I'm listening name. again. So All right, let's do it. Whatever, Drop take a break again. <laughs> stuff the snare the hat the kick it all sounds like one instrument yeah, I, know. I can't tell what's doing what it's, it's like hyper compressed close mic'd that's all it is either way it's dope and i'm definitely going to learn this thing so whose article was this in reference to this is dana bedard one of our columnists oh. up in montreal yeah, yeah, yeah. Tackle this beast. This this is a good groove to work on the two levels system, which was one of the things um, one of the clinic attendees asked Richard was, you know, how do you work on ghost notes, like the you know blending of of the hi hat with ghost notes and all that kind of stuff. And his answer was pretty simple, and it kind of goes back to the Garibaldi approach. Well, if it's an accent, it's an accent. If it's not an accent, it's super low, and there's no in between. You can't. You can't let the accent come down just because you have a ghost note before it and vice versa. You can't let the ghost note come up. Everything is either low and it's a ghost note or it's high, it's an accent. And I think this is a good group to practice that because there's not – there's not none of those notes where it's like accent followed by a ghost note. It's an accent by itself, but then there's ghost notes within two or three triplet partials away. So the technical side of it is not as demanding as like the the Purdy shuffle or the uh, Rosanna shuffle. Sure, but you can really focus on snapping those accents, and then get in the hi hat and the ghost knows the blend, right? And then just make it 
super fast and you'll sound like Dennis. Easy peasy done. <laughs> I feel like I'm better already. You know what? Actually, I'm going to do the YouTube watcher thing. Oh, no, I got this. It's you like, got but this. you haven't practiced it. <laughs> no, no, I know. But I, I watched a video on it. Like, okay. <laughs> Good luck in your next 5 4 halftime shuffle, Johnston. Mm. All right, everybody. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that and definitely check out. Uh, we were just getting that from YouTube. Just says John McLaughlin, Heart of Things, Mother Tongues, Live in Paris, Dennis Chambers, zero commas anywhere yeah. it's one sentence the whole record is great heart of things, the whole, the whole record is called heart of things live in paris it's really really good record if you're into that kind of thing awesome uh yeah i think most people that listen to our podcast are into cool drumming so <laughs> we, sh- we should be safe with that one all right next up are we going into a little hal blaine action yeah we we know we we've we're closing out the october issue and we never really dug into the late great hal blaine because uh, we have a nice tribute story in that issue. Uh, but I thought what we should do here is just kind of drop in some some tracks that he's played on. If you're not familiar with Hal Blaine, he's arguably the most recorded session drummer of all time uh, with, I mean, pretty much every pop hit that came out of the 60s and 70s. There's a good chance that he's on it. Um, and it's that quintessential uh what was it with the wrecking crew so that big reverbed yeah. pop that uh what was his name the famous producer that did all this stuff phil specter oh yeah that like huge ambient sound yep. um that's that's almost always how blaine so we've got a bunch here and it's going to be the opposite of the dense chamber track where you're going to be like wow there's really nothing to that drum track but at the same mm-hmm. time i can't imagine anything else being played on that particular song yeah, these are these aren't even drum tracks as much as they're drum parts. This is yeah. very. I mean, and when you look at in the article, a lot of the greatest drummers of all time, Vinny, um, Ringo, Greg Bissonette, they all gave credit to Hal and talked about Hal, and you can see how influential he was not through his technical prowess, but his creation of parts that, just like Mike said, the song wouldn't have been the same without Hal's part. Yes, and it's very sparse. I mean, it's almost like he was thinking like a classical percussionist. Like, what right. what minimal bit of drumming is needed to make this thing effective? So, which one do you want to pick first? I've, I sent you a bunch. So, let's go with us, uh, Mrs. Robinson. All right, I love that drum part. And here's to you, Mrs. And the reason why I say I love that drum part is because I remember being pretty young, maybe in like my mid-teens, and I was filling in in a cover band. And I remember having to cover this song. And this was one of those songs where I went back to the band that had hired me. I said, I don't think there's any drums in the song. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, there is. I'm like, well, I sure as hell can't hear them. But I hear something (laughs) happening. Something is tapping. And this is almost the beginning for me of that Matt Chamberlain world where I can't tell what's percussion. I can't tell what's drums. And I'm like, you know, back in those days, you put your ear as close to the speaker as you could. And you're like, no, I, I don't hear a drum beat. Cause when I listened to look what the cat dragged in by poison, I heard the drum beat. (laughs) (laughs) It was right there. When I listened to quiet riot, there's the drum beat. You listen to this and you're like, okay, there's clearly percussive things happening but i don't know what's kick snare hat i don't know where the parts are yeah i'm not sure that i would know how i've never had to play this song on a like a you know bar band gig i don't know how i would approach it 
I'm not sure. I don't know what I would do. Would I just lay out in the verses and just come in with hi-hat and snare on the chorus? Or would I try to play yeah. some sort of... Or do you go tea towels thing? on the toms and the snare and then throw them off for the chorus? <laughs> right, what I do mean, you do? Exactly. I mean, this is one of those things where... At, I highly doubt that anybody was like, "Oh, well, that guy rips." But at the same time, it's like, "Well, good." It's it's got that Ringo thing, like, "Good luck trying to recreate it, man." Yeah, yeah. And then All remove right. the rhythm track, and then what are you left with? Like a folk song, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you pick the next one. All right, let's go with. How about Nancy Sinatra? These boots are made for walking. Boom. You keep saying you got something for me. Something you call love, but confess You've been a-messin' where you shouldn't have been a-messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Similar thing as far as the layering of percussion and drum set mm-hmm. creates this thing, and yeah. it's it's such a cool thing. So, since I don't know much about this era, and I definitely am not going to pretend to be somebody that's studied the heck out of Hal Blaine's history, do you think at this time he's also the one doing the percussion, or would there have been a separate percussionist? Uh, I, I certainly can't speculate. My guess okay. is there's okay. someone else in the studio because I'm pretty sure most of the stuff is tracked live. So. I would oh, think there's probably someone else playing the tambourine. And for him to it's say, just the f- you know, that tambourine's yeah. a featured item. I'm not going to play like washy ride cymbal on this song or right? something. Yeah, it's yeah, super smart. The dude's got an ear for sure. Can we do, can we go with the king? All the right. actual king? <laughs> Elvis Presley. All right, this is a little less conversation by the great Elvis Presley. Nice twang. <laughs> Conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation and satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less spark. A little less fight, a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart, and baby, satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Baby, close your eyes. And how many? To the music. How many shelf lives has that song? Have all these songs had? I mean, the dude yeah. plays on songs that come back every ten years, and they're in fifteen different movies. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> It is timeless. I mean, it is absolutely timeless. What the heck was his mailbox like with royalty checks? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Just if he got me. I'm not sure. Ah, oh, biscuits. Come on. I'm going to be a business manager in my next life. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, that. I think that also speaks to Ringo's quote that you brought up a while back. Or maybe, actually, was, I think it was Ash that bro- brought it up at the camp. He said... Someone asked Ringo about fills, and he said, when do you do a fill? And he said, when the vocals stop. Mm-hmm. And you can hear, like, there's these little holes in Elvis's vocal track. Never thought I'd be talking about Elvis's vocal track on our drumming podcast. <laughs> but there's these little holes, and that's where Hal gets those simple 16th notes. Ticka, ticka, ticka. Yeah. Ticka, ticka, ticka. Just on the snare. Just, oh, beautiful. It's th- what I love about this era is... There's no possible way this could have been done piecemeal. Like, let's do the drum part. Right. Let's do the bass yeah. part. Let's overdub the guitar. Oh, this is now. a band. This is a full group just going in the studio and making magic that, that was captured that day. Probably never possible to ever do it again. And that's what I love about it. Like, he made those decisions because of what was happening in the room at the time. Right. He probably didn't plan any of it out. It's just, all right, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to leave a Sounds little more space. Me. I'm going to you know fill here. 
right tambourine's gonna be super loud in the mix or whatever <laughs> you know like and just just yeah our our common vernacular now would not fit then if if he was like can you punch me in second course i just want to do that fill one more time yeah right yeah <laughs> we're just like punch you what do what yeah it's <laughs> it's really really cool now i do wonder though what the session world was like at this time if they knew who these tracks were for did you know you're doing an elvis track was elvis actually there did you know you're doing a nancy sinatra track or is it just like hey we got to bang out 10 songs today this one sounds like this this one does this here's some scratch vocals yeah i i wonder what the process was like at that time that's a good question i'm sure someone someone out there might know but i would assume that each artist was in the studio with them i don't know how you could record that i mean how could you record an elvis song with not having elvis in the room i don't know how you could do it because you just don't know when elvis is in the room it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) like oh my god you probably never sing sang that song the same way twice right you know exactly that's yeah that's pretty cool stuff you want to do one more sure what do you got um how about 1964 Dean Martin. All right. Everybody loves somebody. Everybody loves somebody sometimes. Everybody falls in love somehow. Something your kiss just told me my sometime. Is now. Everybody finds somebody Just listening somebody. to track after track, you'd have to be so flexible. You would literally have to be just a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's and It's all, for me, the, the sound is irrelevant. It's all about what he's playing because it's it's whatever. That's a snare drum, that's a bass drum, that's a cymbal. Totally. But they're not obsessing like we do now. Like, is that the right snare drum? Is that the right? No, thing? no, no. <laughs> It's no. just all Do you own a drum accurate. set? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Bring it. Or how going, like, you have a kit there, right? Cool. Because <laughs> I'd rather not load anything in. And But, I mean, really, listening to the tracks we just listened to, I can tell you which drummer today in my mind would have been hired for each one of those tracks, but I wouldn't have thought, well, yeah, we'll just have that guy do those, all those songs. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, we'll have, this is the, you know, the six, eight jobby. And then we'll have this other guy do the up tempo <laughs> Elvis jobby. And like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Who can read charts, who can write parts. I mean, it's, it's two very different skills. Who sets. doesn't get nervous, yeah. doesn't freak out. Like, just so you know, this next track is for Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Elvis Costello? No, Presley. What? Yeah, he's going to give us two Four. takes. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. One, two, three. <laughs> like that. All right. Well, everybody Beautiful. dig into Hal Blaine. Uh, absolute legend. And really, like I said, check out the the Modern Drummer article. Because when you start reading the quotes from Keltner, Kenny Arnoff, John Robinson, Vinny Caliuta, Steve Gadd, Ringo Starr, it just keeps going, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy was a huge influence on the biggest drummers in the world, and it's pretty cool. I mean, James Gadsden, oh, I, could, I could read those things forever because I love knowing, hey, did you know, especially with the drummers that are maybe one or two eras ahead of me, did they obsess the way that I – did they have heroes? It's, yeah, it's right. hard to imagine that Vinnie Caliuto was 15 sitting down with a record player and – idolizing somebody you yeah. know and so reading these quotes is always a lot of fun for me all right 
What's next, brother? Just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Please go to dreamsymbols.com, take a look around. There's sound samples of everything uh, that they offer there. There's also some lessons and things from some of their endorsing artists. Uh, the most important thing is to find something that you dig and then call up your dealer or go visit your local dealer and request that they order some in for you to try. Um, I have a feeling that you're going to want to get something if it's a nice, warm, lush, somewhat trashy ride symbol, crash symbol. Um, you're going to want something in the contact of the bliss line. If you want something kind of inspiring and more creative and unusual, check out some of their crop circles and naughty saucers and, and some of their uh, small bells and gongs and stackers. Uh, all sorts of really creative, cool, high-quality stuff. Go to dreamsymbols.com. Check them out. All right, now it is time to get into some candy. We're checking out 4x14 solid bronze Canopus snare drum. Five millimeter thick solid bronze. So this was a beast. It's a piccolo a size, but this thing was super freaking heavy. <laughs> it's got die cast. I got to say, you know, we started off 200 something episodes ago, and they were early on in our product reviews. And yeah. for me, it was like just. Just wake me when we're done, man. I don't care. <laughs> I got to say, you've won me over. They've won me over. Everything Nopus, yeah. we review from them is just, it's exactly what you said it was. It's no frills. Yep. Knock it out of the park. Absolute quality. Yep. 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 I had a, a, a lunch with the, uh, you know, Rubik's Drums is representing them in the UK. And we talked, and he, you know, he's a huge supporter of Canopus. And we talked a lot about, like, you know, what makes them great, what makes them kind of charmingly. Sorry, Mike. You're right. <laughs> my dog, my dog was sick of me talking to you, and she literally just pulled the iPad down, straight face first. Hi, sweetie. Okay. Uh, anyway, I love so you. go lay down. It, we should just check out the audio. Let's listen to this thing. <laughs> Sorry. Come on, <laughs> come on.
man. Uh, okay, so high tuning, shockingly phenomenal. And we, I've said this quite a few times on the podcast, but just in case you're a new listener, I want to make sure you know, Mike always records these drums, stock head, wide open, no muffling whatsoever, because honestly, that overtone is the character of the drum. And if you, we can obviously put five gels on any drum and it's going to sound like a sample. So yeah. we, if for any of you that are like, oh, it's a lot of tone, that's what snare reviews should be. You should be hearing all of that overtone so that you can hear the character of the drum and how it's separated from other drums. You know that you can always take out that overtone with just a gel. So the high tone just blew me out of the water. High mm-hmm. tone, middle high, loved. And then right around medium low. Mm-hmm. And then all the way to low, damn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was my my exact and uh, feelings. Like the mid range, yeah, I could I could live or I mean, I would have to dampen it, and then it becomes something else. I'd probably end up going to a different drum. But yeah. this is a powerful drum. It's kind of designed for cut, like cranked. That's there's not many drums that I've played that can do that without it sounding smaller. But this drum actually sounds bigger when it's really. I was cranked. just going to ask how it seems like if you like this size and there is a different response i mean you and i can attest to you tune any drum to this exact same tuning but it's say six inches deep six and a half inches deep it Mm. does feel different Mm -hmm. for sure and a lot of people would like the feeling of this drum how's the volume i mean i'm assuming this has to be a loud drum right? yeah i mean it's it's yes exactly it's it's modeled after the you know the classic bell brass so if you think of what a bell brass is usually used for it's usually used for you know just sharp straight to the point cut yeah not a lot of um there's a lot of tone but it's not like it's not wide ranging it kind of does what it does it cuts right where it needs to cut and then there's nothing else there like there's not a ton of just random does anybody make a bell brass in a piccolo size well the classic tama one was was available in four okay yeah yeah i mean I, i always see them like they go bell brass but then they also want to overdo it so it's it's a nine by fourteen. Yeah, like, exactly. Dude, it's, it was already a tank. Yeah, you have to make <laughs> yeah. it into a floor tom. This to me is really intriguing. I, I love the sound of it. I love the look of it for sure. And those lugs are just incredibly classic. It's always a tough decision. All right, we got a four inch drum. We're gonna have to go with single lugs. Mm. What are we gonna use? Those are just super classy. This drum just looks pro on all levels. Yeah, it's it's uh it's not a it's not an amateur drum for sure. It's a pricey drum, but it's one of those where it, you get this and like okay, I've got my my super high thing done. I don't need anything else. And then it does that like compressed super low thing as well as anything else. So you've got those two things and then you just fill it in with just a normal drum for the mid-range and yeah. That's it. It kind of covers now, it all. I, okay, so you only sent me the link to the actual video. I, I'm not looking at the article, so I have no clue how much this drum costs. I'm going to tell you what I'm willing to pay for this drum. Okay. You tell me if I'm in the ballpark. All right. All right. <clears throat> Let's see. I guess you probably I'm find thinking about. <laughs> okay, you check out. I'm thinking about what could I take out of my collection. Now, for those of you that have seen the snare wall at mikeslessons.com, that's not my collection. That's a collection of snares so that the campers here can check things out i'd say that i have about three or four snares that i use constantly from my collection um so really this might actually do it for me as far as my all-in-one metal drum Mm -hmm. and i would be done because i can use it high i can use it low it can be it can be my side snare for anything or it can Mm -hmm. be my main snare Mm -hmm. and then i just have one wood drum so considering that i can sell a couple drums i would pay and i know it's pretty about a five millimeter solid brass so i'm gonna go 
fifteen ninety nine. That's is what I would pay. That's about the price. I mean, they're they're kind of closer to two thousand range, but okay, that's that's about where you're at. Yeah, and it's a small I mean, batch thing too. Like they didn't make a million of these. There's there's a limited number, and that's probably going to drive the price up even more over time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's essentially three middle professional drums combined exactly. into one. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. We'll definitely check it out. Uh, the Canopus 4x14 solid bronze snare. Um, and I got to say, I'm used to hearing brass sound this good, but bronze is always a, a tricky metal. And this is an amazing sounding bronze snare drum. Yeah. And I don't think we mentioned it, but there is no close mic on that drum. That is just two overheads oh. and a bass drum mic. I'm skipping a jump <laughs> so. over to my nearest Canopus dealer. <laughs> All right, let's get into some emails. All right, what do we got here? This one is um, this is from Kyle. Uh, this is about snare drums. If money was no object, which snare would you buy? And then if you had a mid-range I've been really budget. into this 4x14 <laughs> Canopus snare. It's just kind of like my thing. <laughs> Money's no object. Easy. AK. Yeah. AK five by fourteen brass. Okay. Adrian Kirchler, is that his name? Yes, yes. So yeah. that is sort of like a classic twenties Black Beauty style drum, correct? Yes. Yeah. One and, and let's be very clear, never heard one. Never heard one. <laughs> never even heard a sample of one. <laughs> That's how good his drums look. If it was based off of drums that I have heard, probably five by fourteen or five and a half by fourteen brass joyful noise. Mm. If money was no no object, yep, those yep. are two drums that I want in my collection that I don't have. Uh, I would honestly go with a bell brass. If money was no object, I know mm. a bell brass is going to give me a ton of versatility and it will last forever, and its resale value will always be pretty good. Yep. So probably Boom. a little bit deeper, probably a six and a half maybe. But yeah. yeah, bell brass for sure, and a real bell brass, not not a what some companies are calling bell brass. We can get into Whoa. that later. It has to be a cast. A cast bronze br- snare drum. That's what I would want. Yeah. All right, mid-range, 500 to 800, what would you pick? Well, you would probably pick the snare drum that you've been working on for Gretsch. <laughs> Since I know the cost is 499 yes, that's the one I would pick. So uh, Gretsch Brooklyn Standard, or I would say uh, before that, I can tell you it's a drum that's not even made anymore. It's a, uh, I think they called it a, um, it's a Gretsch drum, but it was from their, what would they call it there? They had like this mid-level line and they, they stopped making it about three years ago, but it's a brush, a brushed brass. Oh, yeah. So five oh, and a half okay. by 14. I don't know if they called it vintage brass or brushed brass, mm-hmm. but it's like literally, well, that's, and it's not even that much. It's probably in the three fifty range, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that was like my mid-level drum. What about you? Uh, that price, it's gotta be a black beauty. That's yeah. a brand new six and a half by 14. Lovely black beauty. There you go. And go. then budget two hundred. Well, I mean budget. Let's say budget one hundred to three hundred. He says two hundred. Easy. But let's go down. Easy. Then. Pearl Sensitone Brass. Oh, cool. So you picked all it's brass. Just, well, I because I just know that they can do everything. Like it. <clears throat> honestly, getting a wood drum to do everything. That's why we've been working on this damn snare drum for three and a half years. <laughs> it, it's not an easy thing to do. Brass is kind of like eh, you're never gonna you're never gonna embarrass me. Yeah. You know, True. I might get like a, one of those wood drums out on the gig, and it's like, coming. Like, crap! <laughs> what the hell just happened to my drum? Brass is never going to embarrass me. But that Pearl Sensitone, uh, the one with the two lugs, it just—it's just a classy little drum for that for that cost. It's amazing. You yeah. can get those for like two fifty. 
For me, it, it would be anything that's like a 5 by 14 steel. Anything. I don't care what brand. Mm. It could be a Ludwig Rocker. It could be a Thai stainless steel. Just anything okay. steel in that price point. I think that's a good a good option. Yeah, that and, and we always got to throw in the Acrylite. Yeah, I wanted to stay away from that since I talk about it all the time. I know, I was going to say, at some point, they're going to call us out and be like, okay, you can't say Carter McLean, Mark Giuliano, or Ludwig Acrylite. All right, next question. All right, next question is, this one's from Derek. Oh, wow, it's more uh, snare drum questions. If you had to choose between the Ludwig Classic Maple (laughs) and a Canopus Yaiba Maple, (laughs) both... (laughs) Both six and a half inch by fourteen drums. If I do it all snare, which one would you go with in that in that price range? Um, okay. On the same line, in regards to a utility snare, is it best to just save a few more dollars and get something like a Black Beauty, or and and if so, what size would you recommend? So the first question is: Would you go with a Ludwig Classic Maple or a Canopus Yaiba? Both six and a half by fourteen. My, I've, I've only I've only played the Ludwig, so I can't yeah, really comment. I mean, either I think they're both awesome drums, so it it comes down to what finish and just which company you kind of like their vibe. Maybe yeah. no, I'm gonna say either one because they're it's not the, the Yaiba series is not the you don't get the solid brass tube lugs. It's a it's a cast lug, so okay. Either one, I think maybe the Ludwig gives you more option for finishes, but they're both going to be pretty cool, and then. The other part was, in regards to a utility snare, is it best to just save a few more dollars to get something like a Ludwig Black Beauty? Rather, I guess rather than something that would be a cheaper version of it, right? Yeah. Well, it, or does he is he saying that the Ludwig Classic, Classic Maple is a cheaper snare than the Black Beauty? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I would say, well, there's a difference, and I think it's a it's a very distinct difference between a Ludwig Black Beauty copy that has a rolled and welded shell and a Ludwig Black Beauty copy that actually has a seamless uh, brass shell like the Black Beauty. I think it's kind of hard to argue uh, that against getting the seamless. If you can save up a couple hundred bucks, get a seamless brass snare. It's going to be the right one. The other one's going to be fine. It's going to sound good, but it's not going to sound as good as a Black Beauty, yeah. no matter what. Yeah, The Black Beauty is just one of those drums where it feels good when the producer or the house engineer is like, "What's that snare?" You're like, yeah, I'm glad you asked because I saved for two years. So, and they're not thank you that for expensive, it. really. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Okay, cool. I think we're done with snare drum questions. Let's see if we got all anything right. else here. Um, oh, this was a specific question about my clinic, but I thought I should probably. Oh no, no, I, I shelved that one. This is a this is a question from Adam. Um. My question pertains to Zildjian rides. Um, I have a few, a 20-inch Corope, a 20-inch K Custom Dark, a redesigned 21K Custom Special Dry, and a 22-inch Vintage Pike C602. Um, They're all great, but I play in a cover band, and I'm finding that they generally get lost in the mix. I realize that this is a common beginner common and beginner question and this is Pisces bread and butter but I'm wondering what you might recommend for a more rock oriented ride that's Zildjian not too heavy not too clangy but has more stick definition while retaining some wash and crashability um, I guess yeah I guess I have to answer that one right <laughs> uh, yeah only from the fact that I just don't have a ton of experience with their modern products 
Yeah, this is the ultimate quest for a ride cymbal for me, to give me something that sounds warm and has a nice soft feel, but it has that extra bit of ping that you need in, a, in almost all practical situations. Um, I would suggest the K Dark Medium ride, 22-inch K Dark Medium. I think it was designed back in the day with Cindy Blackman. So think of what her sound is with Lindy Kravitz mm-hmm. and then the demands of her gig needing some extra cut and clarity. It could be the perfect blend. I've had my eye on one for a while. I'm just waiting for the price to come down to where I can just buy it on reverb. But yeah, it's a 22K custom, no, K dark medium ride. That would be my suggestion. There you go. That's it. I was going to say that, but I just didn't know. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, you guys can keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. It is now time for our picks of the week. And I want to revisit something we talked about earlier in the podcast. My pick of the week is the song Red Zone Killer by Seal. It is the great Ash Stone on drums. Check it out because we all need to work on our shuffle. It's very hard to work on a shuffle in a vacuum and then think it's going to magically work in music. So it's so great if you can play these along to songs. And sometimes as great as Fool in the Rain is, Rosanna, Peg, uh, all that stuff, it it can get a little bit old after a while if those if that's all you have access to. So check out Seal's Red Zone Killer and it'll give you and it's a good good mid to up tempo shuffle. It's not going to push you quite as hard as Rosanna, but it's not pulling you back where you have to really this this will push you just enough and if you can play this song then you're going to be able to play quite a few different songs you know depending on the tempo so check out seals red zone killer so i um, we're going to pause on the drum history for a week because i want to um, have an actual pick of the week for a product so arturia who brought me over to london you know they have the interface that we were testing but they also make two really good drum machines like analog drum machines and i started my clinic having brian just program a beat on the drum machine and then i just played over it so it's a it's kind of a simple classic style drum machine with some really cool modern features it's called the drum brute Uh, it's like a 350 and fifty drum machine with some, you can add distortion. It's a really cool kind of fun analog style drum machine that's not too intimidating, but also has a lot of cool features. You can change the pitch on every instrument. You can, you know, change the level right on there with knobs. You don't have to go into some crazy screen like menus and stuff to adjust it. So it's just a fun, easy to use, easy to program, sounds awesome drum machine. It's the Drum Brute Impact is the model that I was jamming to at my clinic so check that out you can get that at uh, Sweetwater but if you go to Arturia.com under the products uh, menu you'll you'll see more about it but that's the Drum Brute Impact drum machine it's a very cool piece boom check it out alright everybody well thank you guys so much for listening what was what episode is this I don't know right on man well, <laughs> 211 uh, it's 211 hours of listening to Mike and I babble thank you guys so much thanks to all of you that went over to Mike's clinic that was awesome just to see your post you guys were how I was able to attend it virtually by seeing your guys' posts and that that was just a lot of fun and I uh, hope you guys will check out the Minel Groove Bell on Monday if you need a cowbell if you don't need a cowbell don't get it it's stupid <laughs> sounds like a freaking cowbell <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Sounds like a cowbell. That's what cowbells are supposed to do. Everyone, have an amazing week. Mike and I are going to get some sleep. (laughs) All right. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.